Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. It's probably a fair statement to say that everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. It may be one of the most essential, if not the most essential, of human needs. Besides maybe food, clothing, and shelter, we all want to be loved. We long for love. We look for love. We talk about love. We sing about love. We write about love. It's a big, big subject. And at the heart, it's our deepest need. And and just by example of that, just how much we want to learn how to love. Because even though it's so ingrained in us, it seems like we have great difficulty fully understanding and experiencing and expressing love. And and so just this week I went online and uh, went to Amazon.com and I just did a search, just typed the word love in, hit the search button, came up with 498,623 hits. Almost half a million books. That wasn't music, that was just books. Almost half a million books written on the subject. It is a huge subject. And of course, half a million books, if you're going to make your book stand out, you know, you got to come up with a really catchy title. Let me give you some of the titles that I found as I did that search. All You Need Is Love and Other Lies About Marriage. (laughs) Why We Love, The Nature and Chemistry of Romantic Love. I I don't know, that one didn't do much for me. Uh, Another one, Men Who Can't Love, How to Recognize a Commitment-Phobic Man Before He Breaks Your Heart. (laughs) There's another one, real life title, Stop Getting Dumped, All You Need to Know About How to Make Men Fall Madly in Love with You and Marry the One in Three Years or Less. (laughs) They actually had used versions of that book, you know, I'm assuming it was about three years old, you know. You probably heard this title, He's Just Not That Into You, The No Excuses Truth to Understanding Guys. But I didn't know, I don't know if you've heard the sequel. The sequel is... He just thinks he's not that into you. The insanely determined girl's guide to getting the man that she wants. And then I found a third one. Be honest. You're just not that into him either. Raise your standards and reach the love you deserve. (laughs) It's a huge topic. And it's certainly more than we're going to be able to talk about in just 20, 30 minutes this morning. But I do want to talk about love this morning. Because God, the scripture tells us that God, his very nature is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. It's at the core of who he is. And it's at the core of what he wants to develop in us. It's at the core of his character and the character that he is forming in us. Last month, we finished up a series going through the book of Galatians and just taking a look at the free life that God wants for us. And uh, we got to chapter 5 and we had to kind of skip over it. We didn't have time to go into depth. But we just looked at at what is called the fruit of the Spirit. To refresh your memory, Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that is the character that God wants to develop in your life. That's God's design. And, and it is not by accident that I think that He uses this agricultural metaphor. In fact, you read through Scripture... Agriculture is used to describe life with God through the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is right. There is this agricultural metaphor, this agricultural imagery to describe for us what this life is supposed to look like. And when he uses the term the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's not you know, fruits of the Spirit, a bunch of them. There is one harvest. 
There is one produce, one crop, if you will, that God is growing in our life. And the reason I believe that he uses that imagery is so that we would understand that there is this interplay between what God is doing and what we are doing. There is an interplay between grace and works or, or gift and effort. Jesus talked about it when he said in John 15 to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more, bu- more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. The essential character that God wants to develop in us is love. And every farmer knows, every farmer knows that there are certain things you have to do. Every farmer knows there is no end to the work that needs to be done on a farm. It never ends. It's constantly going on. There's always something to do. But every farmer also understands faith because every farmer knows there are things that are completely beyond his control. He has no idea of the quality of seed that he plants. There's no guarantees with it. He, he, He knows he is completely dependent on the right weather, the right amount of sun, the right amount of rain. There are all these uncertainties. There are all these things that are absolutely beyond his control. He has faith that they will happen. But he also knows there are things that he has to do. He has to till the soil. He has to break up the hard part. He has to dig out the rocks, pull up the weeds. He needs to add fertilizer and mulch and and whatever it needs to, to make the soil the best that it can be to give the seed the best chance of growing. And as it begins to take root and grow, he's got no control over that. And yet it's up to him to make sure that it is irrigated and well tended towards and pruned back when it needs to be. There are certain things that the farmer has to do and there are certain things that are completely beyond his control. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at cultivating this godly character, this life that God wants for us. And what we're going to focus on, not on a means of trying really, really hard to be more loving, to be more joyful, to be more patient, but really rather to cultivate our hearts And make ourselves open to the things that God wants to grow. In other words, doing our part and letting God do his part. And this morning we're starting with cultivating a life of love. How do you cultivate a life of love? One of the most important things he says is you get connected to God and you get connected to his people. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You got to stick with it. You got to stick with him. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Nine times in that little two paragraph little saying, nine times he uses the word remain. He says it means keeping together. It means keeping with it. It means keeping connected. It's remaining. Remain in me. Remain with my people. It is absolutely essential because you cannot produce this kind of life on your own. 
See, part of the problem with this whole idea of, 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 of love is that we don't understand love. It, it's, a, it's a big, big topic, and we use one word to describe all the different aspects of it. Our language is very, very limiting. We use the same word, love, to describe the physical contact and union between a man and a woman. And we use the same word to describe the affection between close friends. We use that same word to describe our adoration of God. And we use the very same word to describe our preference for pepperoni pizza. We talk about love as, as our deepest desire and longing and devotion. And we talk about love as our preference in footwear. As in, I love those shoes. Which I never understand as a guy, but you know how you can be in love with something that you walk on, I don't know. But we use that one word to describe a whole raft of things. The ancient Greeks actually had three words. Three different words to, to, to describe kind of the nuances of love. And the first word that uh, we're going to look at this, this morning um, is probably the type of love that we are most familiar with. The word is eros. It's where we get our word erotic. But it's not just sexual love. It is any love, any form of love that I give to that which gives me pleasure or some kind of benefit. In other words, it's consumer mentality love. I love for what I get back. I love these shoes because I get compliments on them. I, you know, it's that kind of a thing. It's, it's, it's the looking for love that gives me something back in return. It is love that comes out of need or desire. And God gives us a whole different type of love. That's why 1 John 4 says, this is love. Not that we love God. See, that's, that's our type of love. That we love God because, you know, but he says, but it's that he loved us. He loved that we love because he first loved us. See, our typical way of loving is what we get out of it. God loves simply because he loves. It's a very, very different type of love. It's not that we love God. We're just doing that in return. He says, God's love is far different than that. And you'll never fully understand love unless you're connected with him. Unless you're learning from his word. Unless you're letting his spirit work in your life. There is an absolutely essential connection that you have to have with God and with his people. God gives us the understanding. And then he gives us his community, his family, if you will, in which to practice. And that's what the church is all about. That's why you become a part of a church. Not to join an institution, but to build the relationships in which you can learn how to love. Scripture says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, what is he saying? He's not saying exclusively to the family of believers, but he says especially or primarily or beginning with. In other words, start with people who are kind of working on the same thing all at the same time. In other words, the church is kind of like a greenhouse. It provides the best opportunity for the seed to begin to take root and start to grow. And the reason we become a part of a church family and become a part of God's community, which is called the church, is so that we would be learning together to love in a way greater than we would on our own. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So as we learn to love one another, we learn a different type of love. Next thing he says is, if you're going to cultivate this life of love, cultivate mutually life-giving relationships. 
within this big body of this big family that is called the family of God, that is called the church. He says, build some close, close relationships. Jesus said, can you pick grapes from, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. The problem with all of this is we have a hard time evaluating and assessing our own fruitfulness because we're so subjective in our opinions about ourselves. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We give a lot of credit to our intentions. We give a lot of credit to our, 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 um, our emotions. If we feel like we've loved somebody, then we've loved them as far as we're concerned. If we had the intention to love somebody, well, intentions are important. And so we get some kind of feedback on that, some kind of good feeling about that. And so we feel like we have loved. And that's why we need an objective opinion. My uncle, growing up, one of my uncles had a farm in, in Delhi, Central Valley, California. If you don't know where Delhi is, it's just outside of Turlock. He had a peach farm, peach orchard, tons and acres and acres and acres of peaches. And I would go from time to time and spend the summer there when I was in high school and, and got to work a little bit on the farm, which was a lot of fun. But one of the things that happened was as the pe- peaches are picked, okay, they're brought in buckets and then they're dumped into bins. These big, they're probably like six by six by four foot tall um, wooden plywood boxes. And all the peaches would go in these bins. And then as these bins would get filled up, when there would be like eight or ten of them, there would be enough to fill up a flatbed truck. Then they would load them all up on the flatbed truck and take the, the, um, all these bins of peaches to the slab. The slab was exactly what it sounds like. It was a big concrete slab. But at the slab, there was a scale. And there was a sorting machine. And when you brought them in, then the workers at the slab would come and they would pick one or two boxes, one or two bins off of the, off of the truck as samples. Because they wouldn't weigh every bin. They wouldn't check every bin. They would pick one or two random samples. And off the truck would come those bins. And they would go over to the weighing machine. And then they would go into the sorting machine. And they would dump upside down. And they would come down a conveyor belt. And they would be shaped and sorted out by shape and by size and by color and all of those kinds of things. Because there needed to be some kind of objective evaluation on the quality of fruit. And you got paid by the quality of the fruit that you were bringing in. The problem is because we're so subjective, we have a hard time evaluating the quality of the fruit in our own lives. And that's why we need these close personal relationships. First of all, because growing fruit takes time. And so it's hard to judge progress from day to day. It's hard to judge progress sometimes from month to month or year to year. Jesus, in fact, told a parable of a fig tree that had not produced fruit for three years. And it says he told the story that the owner came and he said, you know, I've been coming by here for three years now and there's been no fruit on things. Just cut it down. Cut it down. It's worthless. It's just taken up space in the garden. You know, cut it down. And one of his workers said, no, wait, give me another year. Let me work it. Let me fertilize it. Let me irrigate it. Let me work on it and see if it won't produce fruit. Give it one more year. See, you can go year after year after year and not notice that you're not producing any kind of fruit. The other thing is that we need other people not only to help us judge the progress, but also to judge the quality because of our subjectivity. And that means... Allowing people into your lives in close, honest, and open relationships. 
It's actually the second type of love, second word for love that's used in the Greek. It's called phileo. It's where we get our word Philadelphia. Brotherly love. It's the love that we have in common. It's the love that we both mutually benefit from. It's Barney the Purple Dinosaur love is what it is. You know, I love you, you love me. We're one big happy family. That's that's phileo type love. We love each other. You get something out of it. I get something out of it. We have this stuff in common. And that's an important part of love. It is something that all of us need. But that won't happen automatically. It means opening our lives up to people in a deeper level. And it's why around here we keep putting such an emphasis on people getting plugged into a small group. Because you can't do that kind of love with 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 people. You just can't. In fact, you can't really do it with 20 people. This kind of relationship and this kind of love, honest, open, accountable, challenging, stretching, encouraging, promoting type of love, you can only have with about five or six people. But you need those five or six people in your life. They help us identify the fruitfulness of our lives. That's why Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good works. We need other people to push us along. We need other people to encourage us along. We need other people to challenge us. And there's a great value that comes in open, honest, close relationships. It's an essential aspect of love. Jesus put it this way. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Have you ever looked at a vine? You know, it's it's all branches, (laughs) pretty much. And the branches all weave in and out of each other and it's really kind of tough to tell one branch from another. Now, some are further away than others, but but there's just kind of this organic, interwoven kind of thing that's going on. They all get their life source from the main stem, which is Christ. But there's also this intertwining of relationship that is absolutely necessary for the overall health of the whole vineyard. We are the branches. We are there to support and encourage and wrap our arms around each other, to hold each other accountable. And we need that because of those blind spots. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you understand it's all one thing. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you look at that, those are all one thing. In essence, they are all aspects of love. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is faithful. One commentator, one scholar described it this way. It's like looking through light that has gone through a prism. On the one side of the prism, it's all just light. You can't distinguish any one color. But when it goes through the prism, it separates into a whole rainbow of colors. And those rainbow of colors all kind of overlap in such a way that you can't really tell where one of them ends and the other one begins. He says, that's what this love that God has for us to develop in our lives looks like. There are all these different aspects to it. And so we need these people in our lives to help us see how are we doing in each of these areas. And thirdly, to cultivate a life of love, you need to seek out opportunities to give. Opportunities to give with no thought of return. This is love 
at its best. Love at its most powerful. It is the love that is most often descriptive of God. And the Greek word is agape. Probably heard that word around church. If you've ever been around for a length of time. It is a love that benefits another person. It is the love that I give with no expectations of anything in return. Eros love is what, I love what benefits me. Phileo love is the love that benefits us both together. Agape type love is the love that benefits you regardless of what I get out of it. And that is descriptive of God's love. That kind of love does not come naturally. It does not. That is the work of God in our life. That is what comes about by His Spirit at work within us. Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. That's the kind of love that God says needs to be cultivated in our lives. To do that, God does some pruning. That's how he cultivates this love in our life. Jesus said, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. Did you notice every branch gets pruned? The dead wood branches, they get cut back a a little bit more, but even the fruitful ones get pruned back. And the reason for this is the type of love that God is developing in our lives is a self-giving love. And that means pruning back. It is a deliberate cutting back. It is a deliberate cutting back of the things that only satisfy me. It is a deliberate cutting back of all the things that just feed me. It is reaching out and serving and caring in ways that are beyond me. And I think a good question for every one of us to ask ourselves from time to time is, how much of my life is unproductive? How much of my life and my possessions and my time and my resources and my energies and my emotions, how much of it is spent on me? That's a tough question to ask. Because I got stuff. (laughs) And I like the stuff that I got. And I've got friends. And I like the friends that I got. I get something back from them. But if the only people that I am loving are the people that are easy to love, if the only things that I love are the things that benefit me in return, I'm not being fruitful. And so he says, God does some pruning in our lives. Some of it we can consciously and deliberately do by just cutting back and living a little more simply in other in ways to order in order to bless other people. Just making a deliberate choice. And every time we make a deliberate choice that way, we get better at this kind of love. Every time we do this, we learn a little bit more that life is not all about me. But there's also some pruning that God does that we don't necessarily cooperate with. (laughs) And it's the cutting back of those things that are just unfruitful in our lives. And sometimes that hurts. See, pruning is uncomfortable. Pruning is sometimes painful. And I think sometimes the difficulties difficulties that we go through in our lives are part of the pruning process. I know in my own life, some of the most difficult times of my life have changed me and in my attitudes towards other people. 
There are some things that I didn't care about and saw the people going through and it didn't really bother me all that much. I could walk right on by and it didn't matter until it started happening to me. And when that kind of stuff starts happening to you, all of a sudden you're a little bit more aware. It's part of the pruning process. Because once you've gone through that and you understand the hurt or the difficulty or whatever it might be and you see someone else going through it, it changes your whole attitude towards them. It's part of the pruning process. Pruning is sometimes risky. Because when you cut something back, you're hoping something's going to grow in its place. Every spring when I, you know, I kind of do the gardening, I do the pruning. I have no idea what I'm doing, by the way. I have no idea. I, I should probably take a class, but I do the pruning, you know. So I go out there and I start cutting stuff and, you know, pruning back branches. And, and Betty always comes out and she goes, you're cutting too much. You're cutting too much. You're cutting nothing up with a stick, you know. And, and, I, and no, I always do it. I, I figure, okay, if I cut just beyond one leaf, there's at least some life left in that branch, okay. That's my, that's my attitude towards pruning. It's risky because you may cut back too much. Now, God always cuts back perfectly, by the way. And it hurts and it's painful and it's risky and it's uncomfortable. But the thing that he keeps saying is it's for your benefit. It's that you would be more fruitful. He doesn't do it to punish you. He doesn't do it to hurt you. He doesn't do it to make life miserable for you. He does it so that you will be more fruitful. And when you do that, when you understand that, you begin to cooperate with it, you begin to understand God is changing your life. And what he is doing is he's growing in you this capacity to love. And that you can't do by yourself. I know when I try to love my enemies, it's kind of a grit your teeth, count to ten, try not to blow up and just try to be civil. And that lasts for about as long as I can take it. <laughs> but to truly love my enemies, to forgive those who have hurt me, to leave myself open again to someone who might just hurt me one more time, man, that takes the power of God. And that's why he is saying, this is the thing that God is growing in your life. He's producing it. He is growing it. But you can cooperate. You can participate. You can do the cultivating. And the reason that all of this is so important is not just that we would be able to feel better about ourselves, not just that we would be better people or a better church. The reason for all of this is so that we would be able to demonstrate to a world who is hungry for that kind of love, who longs to eat that kind of fruit and experience that kind of um, uh, love and caring and compassion. It's for the benefit of what God is doing in this world. James 1.18 says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. In other words, we're not the end. We are the beginning. We are a part of this great harvest that God is bringing about in all of creation. It's what God is doing. And He's doing it in and through you and me. Philip Kennison writes about it this way. God has called out a people who through their very life together would bear witness to God's character and transforming mission in this world. That character and mission have been uniquely embodied in the person of Jesus Christ and it continues to be reflected even if imperfectly in the life of that community that is animated by His Spirit. 
The fruit that the Spirit desires to produce in our corporate and individual lives, therefore, is not merely a hodgepodge of admirable characteristics and traits and virtues that are universally admirable and commendable. Rather, God desires to produce this fruit through His Spirit and in the community of Jesus Christ. The desire is to have fruit produced in its life because these dispositions reflect the very character and mission of God. Nurturing individual fruit in individual lives is not our ultimate goal. Instead, the church is called to embody before the world in all its relationships the kind of reconciled and transformed life that God desires for all His creation. This is a lofty goal. And we would be foolish to think that we could achieve it apart from God's powerful working in our lives. He does His work. We do our work. And His fruit is produced in us. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.